The world was in bad shape when Yeshua came. So all by his awesomeness, he made a decision that he was going to save the world through Yeshua. And see, here's where grace separates itself from faith. Because the world by grace has been saved. But those who don't put their faith in the salvation of Yehovah will be condemned. That salvation by grace through faith. Shalom saints and welcome to our verse by verse study of the book of Genesis. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. After Abraham had dwelt several years in the land, the king and the chief captain of his army comes to establish an agreement with Abraham. It appears that Abimelech had kept an eye on Abraham, and it was clear to him that Abraham's Elohim was a mighty one. The king is now concerned that as Abraham prospers and multiplies, that he could become a problem. So he feels a need to establish an agreement with Abraham that Abraham would not cause harm to him, his son, or his son's children. Abimelech wanted assurance from Abraham to treat him fairly as he had been treated. Today's study title is, Abraham Makes a Covenant. So, let's study. Today, as I said earlier, we're going to be talking about Abraham makes a covenant. Now, we've seen several places where Jehovah makes a covenant with Abraham, and he's going to continue to make covenants. He made covenant with Sarah. He made covenant with Hagar. He made covenant with Noah, and he made covenant with us. He made covenant with Noah's sons. The rainbow that we see after storms is a reminder of the covenant that Jehovah made with the descendants of Noah, the sons of Noah, and all of the animals as well as the ground, the earth, the land. We see where Noah had this covenant that father made with him and then going all the way back to the garden. So father is a covenant making and he is a covenant keeping Elohim. And so he gives us the abilities to make covenants. And tonight, we're going to look at a covenant that Abraham uh, makes with the king. After Abraham had dwelt several years in the land, the king and the chief captain of his army comes to establish an agreement with Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 21, verse 22, it says this, And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phichol, the chief captain of his host or army, spake unto Abraham, saying, Elohim is with thee in all that thou doest. Now, we're going to see that the king is the king of the land that Abraham is dwelling in. And some of these passages, it doesn't, make it clear because we know that the last place that Abraham were is he went and he dwelt in the land of Gerar. Gerar is the place where he was. It is believed to be the son of Abimelech that it was reported to him concerning Sarah and Abimelech took Sarah into his house. Now, when he did that, there was a problem 
for Abimelech because the Bible says that father shut up the wombs of Abimelech's wife and his maids, which that word implies his concubines. So they couldn't produce children. Now, what's interesting is that during the entire time, if we go all the way back, even though Abimelech is mentioned in the last chapter, in chapter number 20, we find that he is the king of the land of the Philistines. And it appears that Gerar is part of the Philistine kingdom. But it is also the place where, if you remember, prior to Sodom and Gomorrah being burnt, that Sodom and Gomorrah had made a covenant with some kings who came down, took Sodom and Gomorrah, defeated them in battle. The king of Sodom and Gomorrah ended up in some tar pits, and then they took the spoil of Sodom and Gomorrah. They took Lot, all of his possessions, and went back up through Philistine and up into the land of Syria. And so, Abraham caught up with them near Damascus. So all of this activity took place in the land of the the Philistines. Now, what's interesting is that the Philistines were not part of any of that. And so we meet the king of the Philistines last week, where now he's taken Sarah in his house. And I'm bringing all this up because if the king is over the land, it would seem only logical that he has spies, he has messengers, that everything that's going on in the land, he has knowledge of. And so now, after this encounter with Sarah, where the Almighty shows up at Abimelech's house and threatens him, on top of all of this, Abimelech now comes to the conclusion that Abraham is not just any old fella. And I'm going to tell you something. That's the kind of people we want to be. We want to be like Abraham to where we're not just any old fella. That people can't just decide that they're going to deal with us or treat us any old kind of way. And that's whether you are a male or whether you are a female, because in the kingdom, it's not so much about gender as much as it is about relationship. We also understand that when it comes down to favor, the kind of grace or favor where now the Almighty declares us, we're not just some son, we're not just some daughter, we become his friend. Abraham was a friend of Jehovah. And so when people mess with Abraham, <laughs> they were messing with the one he was in covenant with. And that's the kind of covenant we want to be in with the Almighty to where when people mess with us, they're messing with him. See, we want him to fight our battles, but he's not fighting our battles if we're not in covenant with him. Then there is the kind of covenant that brings favor. We want to be a people who have the favor of the Almighty. Hallelujah. And so Abimelech now is is paying attention to all of this. He knows there's been war in his land. He didn't get involved in the war. The individuals who did battle and took spoils went through his land, through his kingdom. He didn't intervene. 
He probably heard that Abraham took some people from his house and went out to battle against five kings and their armies. So you got the armies of five kings that Abraham goes, defeat, take the spoil, deliver Lot in the land of the Philistines. And I'm sure, you know, he's hearing all about this. Something else that was quite fascinating, the Bible says Sarah was pretty old, right? And yet she had a beauty about her that the king wanted this old woman in his house. (laughs) He didn't just want this old woman in his house, but he wanted this old woman seemingly in his bed. Now, that's something to think about, folks. You see, she was old. And so now he's saying, you know what? He's watching. He knows, I suspect that Abraham already has a son. Abraham has Hagar. There's Ishmael. And now Abraham has a son by the woman that was in Abimelech's house that the Almighty came and paid Abimelech a visit of and said, listen, if you touch her, you as good as dead. (laughs) I tell you, brothers and sisters, when when you want somebody who's threatening you to have a visitation from the Almighty, say, listen, you mess with him, you mess with her, you as good as dead. Talk about the fear of the Lord. So Abimelech is paying attention to all of this. He says, you know what? I want that guy on my side. I would much rather be his friend than his enemy. Now understand, Abimelech has already gave this man all kinds of silver. He's given him all kinds of animals. He has said, listen, you could dwell anywhere in my land. And now that he sees Abraham multiplying, he comes to him and he says, I see that Elohim is with you. And not only is he with you, but it seems like he's with you in all that you do. Well, what does he know Abraham to do? Because as far as we know, the only thing Abraham has done has seemingly wait outside of Abimelech's house for his wife to come out. So what has Abimelech seen? He said, Elohim is with thee in all that thou doest. What has he seen Abraham do? And this is where knowing the the region, the proximity of the activity that has taken place over the last four or five chapters, and Abimelech, even though he hasn't been mentioned, all this is happening in his kingdom. So. Remember, King Abimelech had been threatened again by Jehovah and the womb of his wife and all his maids, which that word means concubine or can be used as concubines, had been shut up. And Jehovah had placed a plague on Abimelech's kingdom because of Sarah. And if we go back to Genesis 20, 17, it says, so Abraham prayed because he told Abimelech, says, you know, this man is a prophet you're messing with. You need to ask him to pray for you. 
that you might be healed, indicating that there was something going on with him too. And so Abraham prayed unto Elohim, and Elohim healed Abimelech. He healed him and his wife and his maidservants. And what happened? They bear children. Notice it was not his wife's maidservants. Like Sarah had a maidservant, which was Hagar. That was Sarah's maidservant. You get it? Here, these are not Abimelech's wife's maidservants. They're his maidservants or concubine. And they, his wife and his maidservants, bear children. For Jehovah had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Man, <laughs> you don't want to mess with Sarah. She's not the kind of woman. And Abimelech had to find that out by experience. It appears that Abimelech had kept an eye on Abraham, and it was clear to him that Abraham's Elohim was a mighty, mighty one. He is now concerned that as Abraham prosper and multiply, that he could become a problem. So feels he needs to establish an agreement with Abraham that he would not cause harm to him, his son, or his son's children. And you'll find that when authority passes from father to son, that oftentimes the son, as we are finding in scripture, don't necessarily hold fast to the position that their father had. Solomon was one of those cases to where, you know, he worshiped the same Elohim of his father, but there were some issues among Solomon's brothers, you see. And we're finding that there were good kings and their children could be bad kings or evil kings. And so Abraham or Abimelech is now coming to Abraham to establish some kind of an agreement. Verse 23. Now, therefore, swear unto me here by Elohim. <laughs> Who's Elohim you think that Abimelech was trying to get Abraham to swear by? Certainly not his. Because notice what he says. He's saying, God is with thee. Elohim is with thee. And he's thinking, okay. Now, because the question is, is, does Abimelech and Abraham have the same Elohim? It's a good question. I would dare say most likely not. But he recognized Abraham's Elohim and he acknowledges it and he now wants Abraham to swear by him that you will not deal falsely with me nor with my son nor with my son's son. Now, I can see why Abimelech would do this because Abraham had already dealt with him by saying that Sarah was his sister when in essence she was his wife. And he said, what would make you want to do that? What did you see about us that would cause you to deceive me in such a way? And Abraham said, when I came in your, in your country, you know, I perceived you all were some wicked people. That's why I did it. You all were some wicked people and the fear of Elohim was not in this place. And so he says, but according to the kindness, in other words, I have been good to you. 
He says, do not deal with me falsely, nor with my son, nor with my son's son. So what does he do? He goes three generation deep. And I suspect, because we're going to see Abraham dealing with Jacob, I mean Isaac, that he's making a covenant that is not just between him and Abraham, but a covenant between him, Abraham, concerning his sons and his grandsons. And this is another example of how the Almighty, we can see that he's, he's not just a generational Elohim. He's multiple generations. He's not just looking out for me. He's looking out for my children and my children's children. And by the time we get to Exodus 20, we're going to see that when he begins to speak to Moses, he says, you know, that you shall not make unto yourselves any graven images, nor shall you bow down to them. For I, you know, he goes into, I am a jealous hell, visiting the iniquities. Of the fathers to what? The third and fourth generation. But showing mercy to a thousand generations. And so Father lets us know that this is not a generation. He's not just concerned about about our generation, but he's concerned about the generation of our children and the generation of our children's children. And if he's concerned about that, we should be concerned about it because for those of you who are aware, it only takes one generation to get off track. Just one generation. It is important for us that we teach our children because if we don't teach our children, they're not going to teach their children. And the the generation that is not taught is the generation that is going to deviate, is going to to veer off and begin to go down a path. And, And ultimately, they'll find themselves on a religious path that many are on, on a wide path to where they are now determining the relationship that they're going to have with the Almighty instead of the Almighty determining the kind of relationship he wants them to have with him. That's kind of where we are today. Religion has decided, you know, that this idea of grace without understanding. See, brothers and sisters, if you look at it in the light of how it's presented, where Yeshua tells us very clearly, it boils down to where father made a decision that had absolutely nothing to do with any of us. When he decided that he was going to give his only begotten son. That was not a decision. That was not. He didn't hold counsel. He didn't ask for opinions. He made a decision that he was going to send his son to pay the price for the sins of the world. And nothing anybody can do or don't do is going to hinder him making that decision. That was his grace. He made that decision. You can't earn it. We didn't deserve it. He made that decision regardless to the condition of the nations of the world at the time he sent Yeshua. And guess what? We were in bad, bad shape. The world was in bad shape when Yeshua came. So all by his awesomeness, he made a decision that he was going to save the world 
through Yeshua. And see, here's where grace separates itself from faith. Because the world, by grace, has been saved. But those who don't put their faith in the salvation of Yehovah will be condemned. That salvation by grace through faith. And so Abimelech comes to Abraham and says, listen, I have shown you kindness. I've been good to you. I've not looked to harm you. I've not tried to take something from you. In fact, I have given you. And we're going to see here in just a moment. So more than likely, Abimelech had heard about the exploits of Abraham and Jehovah in granting Abraham success in battle with the five kings to retrieve Lot and take their goods. And Abimelech wanted assurance from Abraham to treat him fairly as he had been treated. Verse 24, and Abraham said, I swear. He says, swear to me. Abraham said, I swear. Now we get into some intricacies of covenant. During the negotiation, Abraham reproved the king because of a will that had been taken by Abimelech's servants. And so we see Abraham's in the land. His servants have dug the wells, and Abraham obviously didn't want any trouble in the land. He was sojourning in, therefore allowed the servants to seize the well. Now, remember, Abraham had trained servants. These trained servants could have easily defended the well. But Abraham was in the king's country and therefore honored the king. But when the king came to him, he had opportunity to state his grievance with the king during the negotiation process. And so he says, Abraham reproved Abimelech because of a well of water, which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away. They didn't just take the well. Says they violently took it. And Abraham is in their land. See, when Abraham went to retrieve Lot, the people who had come were foreigners in the land, and they had taken something that was dear to Abraham that they had no right to. So he went to battle with them because they were not in their own land. They had sojourned in a strange land to do exploits among a people who had some kind of allegiance with them and not an allegiance with Abimelech, it seems. Abimelech's defense was he had no knowledge of this matter, nor had Abraham brought the matter to him until that moment. And here's what he says. And Abimelech said, I will not who have done this thing. I don't know who did this. Neither have you said anything to me about it until now. Indicating that if Abraham had come to him and said something about it, maybe he would have done something. But Abimelech can claim ignorance because he didn't know. And this is one of the reasons why if we have a grievance or an alt against our brother or against people that we're in covenant or in relationship with. We are to go to them and tell them the fault or tell them their fault or tell them the issue that we have. Abimelech could claim ignorance, which he did. Abimelech's part of the covenant was that Abraham could dwell in his land and he had already bestowed great gifts unto Abraham and Sarah. In Genesis 20, 14, the Bible says, and Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants and women servants and gave them unto Abraham and restored him Sarah, his wife. 
And then Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell where it pleases thee. So Abraham knew whose land he was in. He says, listen, wherever you want to live, Abraham, wherever you want to dwell, my entire land is before you. Live where you want. So Abraham knew whose land he was in. And when the king's servants came and took the well, Abraham knew that the king's servants had access to the well because he was in the king's land and the well didn't belong to him, even though he dug it up. Just because you come on my property and dig a well, don't make that your well, right? If you dig the well on my land, whose who's well is it? <laughs> In verse 16, and unto Sarah, he said, behold, I've given your brother, your brother. <laughs> he claimed to be your brother, but I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. And basically he's saying, you know, y'all lied to me. But just to keep things straight, on the up and up, I've given him a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all other. Thus, she was reproved. So Abimelech reproved Sarah. And now Abraham comes along and reproved Abimelech. You see, there's some stuff going on in the midst of them. And he's saying, listen, we've had our issues. <laughs> But from this point on, can we be friends? <laughs> Let's make an agreement that there will be no more deception, no more issues. And Abraham agreed. So Abraham's portion of the covenant was sheep and oxen. So now look at this. Remember in the previous chapter, the Bible says, and Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants, and women servants, and gave them unto Abraham. Now, Abraham took sheep and oxen, probably some of the same sheep and oxen. <laughs> Abimelech had already given him, and gave them unto Abimelech. So they're basically, you know, just keeping the goods and services in the community. <laughs> And both of them made a covenant. So now they've got a treaty. They've got a covenant. They've got an agreement with each other. In addition to the covenant, Abraham wanted the well. He said, listen, I know this is your land. I know we dug the well on your property, but I want the well. Now, what's interesting is, and get this, this is going to play out later, but Abraham is in the land father said he was going to give his descendants, right? He says, walk the land as far as your eye can see, whatever ground, whatever land, just look and all of this land, I'm giving it to you. So in essence, this was promised land, but Abraham know that he had not yet entered into the fullness of the promise of this land, but he's in the negotiation process declaring that, hey, this is my well, and I want you to testify. And so he says, by Abimelech's servant, he, he said, 
In addition to the covenant, Abraham wanted the well that had been seized by Abimelech's servants returned and an acknowledgement that he had dug it. And here's how Abraham did it. He set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. So now they've made the exchange. He's given them sheep and oxen. But in the process, he takes an additional seven lambs, ewe lambs, and set them over by themselves. And I'm sure Abimelech is looking at all of this. And Abimelech said unto him, Abraham, what mean these seven ewe lambs which thou hast set by themselves? And he said, for these seven ewe lambs shalt thou take of my hand that they may be a witness unto me that I have digged this well. Now, what Abraham is doing is he's laying claim to a piece of property that is in a land that he's not necessarily yet laid claim to. But he's laying claim to this well. And wherefore he called that place Beersheba, because there they swear both of them. So basically he says, what means that? And he says, I need you to be a witness unto me that they may be a witness unto me. So by taking these lambs, you're testifying that I dug this well. And if I dug this well, I have rights to it. This is what is going on. And that word Beersheba, it means well of the sevenfold oath. Why sevenfold? Because of the seven ewe lambs. And this is where they made the oath. And so that well in that area, that land has significance. And so thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech rose up and called the chief captain of his host, and they returned into the land of the Philistines. But weren't they in the land of the Philistines? Now, it, you know, you have his capital. You have the county seat or the, the seat of the government, like the land of North Carolina. Charlotte is a jurisdiction, but the governor's mansion is in Raleigh. And so you have the state capital, which I suspect this is what's going on. Wherever the king's castle is, would be considered the capital of the land, even though it's all their land, as you'll see in the last verse of this uh, passage. And this, although the Philistines controlled the land in Abraham's day, it was promised by Jehovah to Abraham and his descendants and would become the land of Israel the son of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham. So what do you see here? You see that Abraham knows that father has given him this land, but he's not yet in a position to take possession of it. And we're going to find out as we continue, once we get into Exodus and Numbers or Deuteronomy, we're going to see in that when father brought the children of Israel into the land, the land was much too big for them to take and occupy. So he says, listen, you're going to have to drive the inhabitants out, but I'm going to give you the land little by little because you're not big enough as a people to occupy this whole land. And Abraham certainly wasn't big enough as a people to occupy this whole land, but he can occupy portions 
of the land. And this land would ultimately be given to Israel, the son of Isaac, which is Abraham's son, and then also the grandson of Abraham. Now, this land where Abraham and Abimelech made a covenant would become a historical marker for millennium, even to this day. When I was uh, in Israel, my second trip to Israel was missions. And we didn't do the, the tour thing. David and Simona and I, we, we went over to do missions and we drove up and down throughout across the whole land of Israel. And prior to going, we had made some connections of places that we would go and we would speak in. And what was fascinating about the journey is that when we got there, a door opened up. So we thought in Beersheba, the very Beersheba that is mentioned here, this Beersheba that is mentioned in Genesis chapter 21 is the same Beersheba in the land of Israel today. I mean, you're talking about years, thousands. And so it's a very ancient city. But what was interesting is there was this fellow who invited us to come and minister to his congregation. And so we thought, like all of the other invitations we had received, that we were going to Beersheba. And so we made a day trip because for us to drive from where we were living, we had to drive through the land and then we would get there and then to drive back and the entire day uh, would be gone. There was this guy, who was, he was Russian and basically he deceived us. There was deception. We get to Beersheba and he's got his layout and what he wants to do is he wants to pitch us because he's got some ideas that he need investments. Come to find out there was no congregation. He hadn't had a group of people in the last two, maybe three years. So he knew up front. And I tell you, it was one of those, those moments to where, you know how you feel when you find out you've been played? <laughs> At that moment, we cut his choice. Like, man... You can keep your little stale donuts and all this stuff you, you're trying to impress us with because the bottom line is you lied to us. You deceived us. We spent this energy, this time, this money to come over here to try to minister to you and to your people. And this is what we got. There's a lot of deception going on in the land of Israel. And some of the people that have probably been played the most is unsuspecting Americans. Because we have such a desire in America to do missions. America has sent and is sending more missionaries to more places in the world than any other country by far. Investing billions and billions and billions, trillions of dollars in missions work. And much of these resources are not necessarily being properly utilized for the purpose in which they are given. And I can tell you, you know, we've, we've had people who have tried, and when you have limited resources, 
and you are stewards over those resources, you are responsible. And there are invitations that we receive now to where because of circumstances like that, you know, it causes you to really be somewhat hesitant or to question the legitimacy of the invitation, which means now you got to do a little homework. You got to ask some questions, get some pictures. It's not just, you know, show me a website. Anybody can put up a website. You, there's an investigation that has to go forward. We just received a, I've received an invitation from Kenya, from South Africa. Just recently we received another invitation from India. We got played in Pakistan. <laughs> and you don't have a lot of resources to be squandering, even though you desire to take the gospel of the kingdom to the whole world. And so we're doing our best to do our due diligence so that we aren't taken advantage of by individuals who are looking to exploit those who have a desire to do Father's will. In verse 33, we see that now, and here's the word that I wanted to bring to our attention. Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of Jehovah, the everlasting Elohim. Now, this word grove here, there are several words for grove. If you were to do a word search in the Hebrew and you were to look up the word grove, you'll find the word grove in several different places. But the word grove in this verse is only used once for that word grove. In two other places, it's called a tree. And to be more specific, it's a tamarisk tree. And here it is used as a grove. And notice this is significant here because you can easily miss this. Abraham planted a grove, a tree in Beersheba, a tamarisk tree, and he called there on the name of Jehovah, El Olam, or the everlasting El. So what do you see here? There is a place of worship. This is a place where Abraham calls on the name of Jehovah. He plants a tree. Now, as we get through Genesis and through the writings and the prophets, you're going to see that the tree or the high place, the Asherah, it becomes a place of worship. Abraham's descendants now are worshiping idols under trees. And here Abraham planted a tree and worshiped. But Abraham called on the name of Jehovah. The descendants were calling on the name of Baal. Baal. The word grove here, tamarisk tree, is only used here in this ashal. It's ashel, meaning tamarisk tree. But in other places, we're going to see that it's asherah, meaning a high place or a tree or a place of idolatry or worship. And so when Abraham planted the grove, a tree, he called on Jehovah, the El, the God of eternity. 
El Olam. The word grove is used, as I said, many other times, but the reference is a place of idolatry. That word Asherah, Asherah, a Babylonian Astarte, Canaanite goddess of fortune and happiness, <laughs> the supposed consort of Baal and the images, gods and goddesses, her images, sacred trees or poles set up near an altar. And here's how you can see that what Abraham did now, somebody else is doing the same thing and they're worshiping just like Abraham. They're calling on a God, but Abraham called on the Most High. You see. And you can look at that word grove here where the other places grove, if you don't look up those words and you look at and you take into consideration one of the principles of hermeneutics, the art and science of interpretation or biblical hermeneutics, the art and science of biblical interpretation, and you look at the first mentioned principle where it states that the first time you see a particular word used, it generally carries that definition throughout the other places that it is used because it is the first place, but that's not the case for this word. So if you see grove here, and then you see in another place grove, and you look up the word in the first place that is used, then it's Acer or Asher, Asher, and here, in the other places, it's Asherah. You see how you can make the mistake of putting the wrong definition with the word and totally miss the meaning? If Abraham worshipped under the tree he planted and they're worshipping under a tree, well, they're doing the same thing. They're worshipping under a tree or worshipping a tree, but Abraham didn't do that. He planted a grove. It was a marker. It was a historical marker for Abraham that this was the land where he negotiated at the well with the king Abimelech. And then it concludes, and Abraham sojourned, notice here, in the Philistines' land. Now, notice in verse number 32, it says, and Abimelech rose up and Fechal, the chief captain of his host, and they returned into the land of the Philistines as if they were not in the land of the Philistines, as if they were in somebody else's land. You see that? That's the way the verse implies that they returned. They came out of the land of the Philistines and now they return into the land of the Philistines, which the land they were in was the land of the Philistines. Why? Because that's where Abraham, the Bible closes that chapter. Abraham sojourned in the Philistines' land many days. And with that, we bring this portion of Genesis to a close. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. 
please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.